1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at one and a half verses today. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9a. And um, I love this section, this passage of Scripture. Uh, you might be wondering why. Let's read this, 8 and 9. Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Why do you like that, Pastor? Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I like it because this is a real equipping kind of a passage. You know, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes that uh, God has given to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. And so my, my job, my responsibility as a pastor, first and foremost, is to equip you, to provide you with the tools that will enable you to live a victorious life in Christ. The tools are here in the scriptures. God has given them to us. It's my job to impart them to you. And having said that, like any piece of equipment, someone could hand you a shovel, but you still have to dig the hole, right? Uh, somebody could hand you a hammer, but you still have to pound the nail. Somebody could uh, set you up with a, uh, a lawnmower, maybe even a riding lawnmower, which is kind of cool, right? If you have a big enough yard to warrant that. But you still have to climb on, turn on the key, and ride the thing. And so the equipment that God gives us, the tools that he gives us, it's my job to help you learn about them, discover them, learn how to use them. But it's like that old expression, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink, right? So my job is to bring forth those things, to equip the saints. And I think this is a very important equipping passage because it deals with a very important subject. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time in your word today. We ask that you would bless the teaching and preaching of your word, that you would open our hearts and minds, give us insight and understanding and application. As we study these scriptures together, we ask this in the precious name of Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So, first of all, be sober. Now, in today's modern vernacular, probably the first thing that pops into your mind has to do with intoxication, which being sober would be the opposite. But there is a spiritual application here it means to be serious to be solemn to be grave and i don't think it means to be sour peter's not saying that as believers we should go around being sour dour bummed out no but to take the subject matter here seriously which is spiritual warfare specifically uh, as the enemy satan wanders to and fro like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Be serious. Be sober. And this is probably not a message that goes well in a lot of churches today because the, the, it seems like the number one goal in so many churches today is to have fun. You know, just be made to feel good. You know what? Knowing Jesus, having a relationship with God being close to him, having an assurance of my salvation and my eternal destination, those things make me feel good. In spite of what may be going on in the world around me, difficulties I might be facing in my own life, those are the types of things that should give us comfort, give us strength, give us fulfillment. It's kind of like the calm in the eye of the storm. It's that peace that passes all understanding. Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 that we are not swayed by our circumstances and yet so much of the teaching and preaching today seems to be about our circumstances how to make our circumstances better how to create our own perfect little Christian bubble no God expects us to live in the real world and expects us to be a light 
We sang that song this morning, didn't we? Light of the world. So I can be excited about this type of a passage because I believe it equips us, prepares us, trains us for how to deal with the reality that being a believer means you're going to be engaging in ongoing, constant spiritual warfare. Be sober, be serious, be solemn, be grave. I think God wants us to enjoy our lives. He wants us to enjoy church, enjoy worship, enjoy hearing the teaching of the Word of God, enjoy fellowship and so forth. And we can enjoy those things and yet at the same time be serious, be solemn about what it means to be a, a disciple of Christ. So I would interpret it this way. Take your walk with God, take your faith seriously. Now in the New Revised Standard Version, it says, discipline yourselves. And of course it's talking about spiritual discipline, but that would also manifest it in itself in physical discipline because again, when you talk about being sober, the Bible also says don't get drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation. So part of the discipline of the Christian life is to bring your body into submission, as Paul says, not to abuse alcohol or drugs or pornography and so on. These are the disciplines. We resist the temptations that other people succumb to. The NIV says, be self-controlled. And Ephesians chapter 5, it says, don't get drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation, but be ye being filled. In the Greek, it's an active tense. Be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible equates self-control with being spirit-filled, which means self-control really means you're controlled by the Spirit of God. You are yielding your will over to God. He's in control. And that's what enables us to have self-control because our flesh wants to do anything and everything, all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Be self-controlled. Be disciplined. Be serious. Be solemn. Be grave. Don't allow yourself to become intoxicated with the things of this world. That's a real and present danger, is it not? There are many things in this world that are very intoxicating, not just alcohol, not just drugs. And they're thrust in front of us on a daily basis. I still can't figure out. I've been trying to figure this one out since I was a teenager. I think I shared before how we had a discussion at a youth camp, a summer camp, Christian summer camp in Southern California, discussion about proper and improper attire, primarily for girls because guys don't have as much to show off. <laughs> and the girls just couldn't get it. It's, well, they shouldn't look. Well, when it's all right there out there in front of you, it's hard not to. And uh, it breaks my heart to see just our society, our culture, just going more and more in that direction of no modesty, no uh, propriety in attire. Man, it's rough. And yet, women in particular seem to be oblivious to it, blind to it. Either that or they know what they're doing. And it could be a little bit of both. Maybe for some it's naivety, for others it's on purpose. But it certainly challenges us, us with being sober, serious, self-controlled, and not becoming intoxicated with the things of this world. And of course, every kind of uh, harmful, sinful activity is depicted in movies and television and so forth on the internet as being so cool and so awesome. And this is what you want to do, right? And they don't always show the, the negative consequences of those actions. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world and by the way the Bible says Satan is the prince of this world. God is over all but he has given limited temporary jurisdiction of this planet over to Satan and actually it was Adam and Eve that gave him the jurisdiction when they sinned in the garden and disobeyed God. All that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes. So you see something. Remember what Eve said in the garden? Or the devil told Eve, hey, look here. 
it's pleasant to look at, and it tastes good too. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Don't become intoxicated with the things of this world. Why? When we have no discipline or self-control, we can easily fall into sin and become easy prey for the enemy. When we as believers fall into sin, we're like a wounded animal. We're vulnerable. And we become easy prey, easy target for the enemy. John 14, 30, Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, said Jesus, which means no hold on me, nothing in me, no power over me. And what gives the enemy power over people is sin. It's like a hook. He hooks you with it, like a meat hook. And the problem is that the feel-good power of positive thinking message being preached so many places today, I don't believe adequately prepares believers for the spiritual warfare we encounter on a daily basis. So be sober. And then he says, be vigilant. And it's difficult to be vigilant if you're not sober because to be vigilant means to watch, give strict attention to, be cautious, be alert to impending danger. Have you ever been distracted? <laughs> I've probably done all of the above. You ever been just walking down the street and you get distracted and you walk right into a post or a pole? I won't ask for a show of hands, but I will tell you it's happened to me before. And usually the pain is mostly embarrassment more than physical pain. It can be physically painful too, but it's even more painful on the embarrassment meter or distracted while driving and you get into an accident or you run into something or you hit a pothole right well you can again apply this to your spiritual life if you're oblivious to the strategies of the enemy if you're oblivious to the fact that we do encounter uh, spiritual warfare on a regular basis then you're much more likely to fall into a hole, step over a cliff, and so on and so forth. Be vigilant. Noah Webster describes it like this. Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. That's my go-to. There was a lot more literacy in our world back in those days. And Noah Webster was a strong Christian. And all of his definitions in his dictionary are tied into biblical definitions and meanings so if you're looking for a really good dictionary you can get it online for free noah webster 1828 he puts it like this to be vigilant is to be circumspect attentive to discover and avoid danger or to provide for safety So you can be vigilant on your own behalf. You can be vigilant on behalf of your family members. I can be vigilant as a pastor to provide safety to help you discover and avoid danger in your life. Now the next part of this verse tells us why Peter is warning us to be sober and vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil... And so here Peter is pointing out to us, reminding us that our number one enemy, our number one opponent is Satan. Oftentimes we may perceive that a neighbor, a co-worker, a classmate, if we're in school, whatever the venue or arena of life that you're dealing with, you see people that may, maybe perhaps you have the sense that they don't like you. And maybe it's even more blatant than that they have made it clear to you that they don't like you and some may perhaps have even set themselves against you as your enemy even if you haven't done anything to warrant that and, and sadly some people view their own spouses as their enemy and of course that's part of the strategy of the enemy to turn us against one another a house divided against itself cannot stand so the enemy messes with your mind he 
whispers all kinds of things in your ear, oftentimes that are not true. Even if they are true, we have to remember that, that anyone who has made themselves available, either knowingly or unknowingly, to be an instrument of the enemy, he's ultimately the one pulling the strings, right? So, if God be for us, who can be against us? Even if people may oppose us or set themselves against us, if God be for us, who can be against us? The obvious answer is no one. But the enemy that we should be concerned with, the adversary, is Satan, the devil, who wanders to and fro about the earth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Because your adversary, the devil. Now, Ephesians 6.10, beginning in verse 10, Ephesians 6 gives us some very powerful tools once again in withstanding him. Paul says, finally, my brethren, it's the end of his letter to the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The worst thing we can ever do is trust in our own strength. Okay, Lord, I got this one covered. No, you don't. No, you don't. God's got it covered. And we'll get to that part in a minute where we're to submit to him and then resist the devil, and then he will flee. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So if you're not really spending a lot of time with the Lord, it's going to be difficult to be strong in the Lord. We need our own daily time with the Lord. We need corporate time, fellowship, worship, Bible teaching, as well as your own personal time in the scriptures. If you're going to be strong in the Lord, you've got to spend time with the Lord on a regular basis, right? There's an old saying, seven days without the word makes one weak. W-E-A-K. Makes one weak. Weakness. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's wily. He's intelligent. We don't want to give him too much airtime, but at the same time, we need to acknowledge he's not stupid. The Bible clearly teaches that Satan, Lucifer, was the highest of all angels. He had physical beauty. He was the worship leader in heaven. He was so arrogant and conceited and full of himself, he thought he could take over for God. But he, there was a reason he thought those things. He was magnificent. And he has fallen. He is evil, but he is not stupid. He is a highly intelligent being. And we need to know what we're dealing with. Now, let me point out something else. You might be thinking here today, well, gosh, Pastor, I've heard you say more than once that oftentimes we say the devil did this to me and the devil did that, but more than likely... We're not even dealing with the devil. It's probably one of his cohorts. The devil does not have the attributes of God. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. And he's not omnipresent. He is not everywhere at once. So when Peter talks about resisting him, he may not be right there in front of you. You know, in the spiritual realm, you can't see him with your physical eyes. But he has a vast network of demonic entities that are all interconnected. They're like an evil, dark, demonic army. Just like God has an army. He has the, he the heavenly host, the, the mighty angels of heaven that are everywhere watching over God's people and watching over the affairs of this world. A great book, it's a classic to give you a better understanding of how all this operates is the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. How many of you have ever read that book? A few. Good. It's great. It'll give you a much better understanding of how it works. So when we talk about resisting the devil, that he is our adversary, our number one adversary, our enemy, that doesn't mean we're always direct dealing with him directly, but we're dealing with one or more of his representatives. I think he's probably spends most of his time in Washington, D.C., <laughs> <laughs> Moscow, right, Moscow, 
North Korea. I mean, he probably deals with the top of the top. He also hangs out with some Hollywood folks, hangs out with some folks in the music industry. He spends most of his time with the most powerful and the most influential. But he has a vast network, believe me. They're out there. The good news is they're outnumbered two to one by God's angels. But they're still out there. So, the full armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's tricky son of a gun. Put on the whole armor of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There again, ultimately people are not our enemies. The devil is our enemy and sometimes he works through people. So our warfare is ultimately not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So right there in Ephesians 6, Paul lays out for us that spiritual hierarchy and lowarchy, hierarchy and lowarchy of just like in the military. You've got privates, you've got, you know, corporals and sergeants and blah, 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 and up it goes to generals. In the Old Testament, it talks about the prince of Persia. Michael said he was trying to get to Daniel with a message from God, and he was detained by the prince of Persia. It would appear that certain geographical areas have some of these upper-ranking demonic entities that are over those areas. It's their responsibility to create chaos and havoc in various parts of the world. And you can look at flashpoints around the world, areas that seem to perhaps there's more evil stuff going on there than there is in some other place. I'm thinking of one place in the United States, which I will not mention by name. Well, I can think of several, really. But there's one place in particular that you might be surprised about. I'm not going to mention the name of that state. But as I've watched through the years, it seems like more weird, sick, perverted things happen there than just about any place else. And it's not even Hollywood, believe it or not. The demonic entities, the various ranks within Satan's dark ops, seem to have more power in certain areas than others. It has a lot to do with the Christian influence in the area, the godly influence. I could go on and on about that, but let's go on here. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and so forth. Okay, let's move on to verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. That's God's desire for us. He wants us to stand firm. He doesn't want us to fall. He doesn't want us to give way or give in. He wants to give us the strength and the ability. He's given us the tools. He's given us the equipment. It's up to us to take them up and use them. And then he goes into specifics. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Now I want you to notice something. I know some people, very wonderful Christian people that I've known, and have a great deal of respect for, they will actually go through a daily ritual where they are symbolically putting on the belt of truth, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, and so forth. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But when you go through this list, what it's really talking about is putting on Jesus. And how do you put on Jesus? By communing with Him, by praying, talking to Him, worshiping Him, feeding upon His Word. That's how you clothe yourself with these things. It's not really a ritual. Just by pretending that you're putting on a belt of truth doesn't mean you've put on a belt of truth. You've got to put on Jesus by communing with him, connecting with him. But here are the pieces of equipment. The belt of truth. We know that Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We also know that his word is the truth. How do you put on the belt of truth? You've got to be in the word. Otherwise, your pants are going to fall down. Your spiritual pants, that is. But that can be just as embarrassing because you don't know who's watching in the spiritual realm. That was funny, I thought. <laughs> Give me a break, would you? Man, you guys make a, a person work hard here. Okay. Breastplate of righteousness. 
What's the most vulnerable thing here? Your heart, right? The breastplate protects the heart. If the heart gets damaged, you're done for. And it's righteousness that protects us. Now, you and I cannot be perfect every moment of every day. We are going to stumble. We are going to fall short. So again, Jesus is the breastplate of righteousness. The Bible says we're clothed with his robes of righteousness. We have none of our own. It comes from him. We've got to put it on. By, in fact, there's an old song. I think it was by a group called the Archers. It was this great group in Southern California. Two brothers and a sister. And uh, another great group was Andre Crouch and the Disciples. And the Archers were like a white Andre Crouch and the Disciples. They did that contemporary Christian gospel soul type music. And they were great. The Archers. They had a song called Put on Jesus. You might even find it on YouTube. I don't know. Good song. Breastplate of righteousness. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? But again, we're talking about walking in the peace of God. The peace that passes all understanding. Your feet prepared. Protecting your feet. They're vulnerable too. You know how vulnerable when you're barefoot and you step on a rock or a goat head, right? It's the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Again, God imparts to us a measure of faith that we might put our faith, our hope, our trust in Christ as the Savior of our souls. But we need to regularly feed that faith to keep it strong. Again, prayer, worship, feeding upon the word, doing those things, hanging out with other people who believe what we believe. If you're only around people all the time that don't believe what you believe and disagree with you and perhaps even argue with you or mock you, that can wear you down. And honestly, that's where most believers spend the majority of their time because they're out there in the secular world working what you got to do. Got to make a living. Now, some guys like Nick who have their own a lawn care business, they don't have, they're out there doing their thing. You know, they don't have a lot of people bugging them and stuff. But if you work in an office or a school or the Air Force Base or Sandia or wherever it is, there's a good chance you're going to be surrounded by non-believers. You're going to get worn down. You've got to build up that faith. It's your shield. And your arms have to be strong to be able to hold that shield out there and keep it up, right? These are all things we're talking about. Spiritual strength. Clothing ourselves with Jesus Christ. Taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so Satan... Uh, we see in, in times past, many cultures, many civilizations have employed the use. Uh, arrows, archery was a primary means of defense and offense. And if you really wanted to get down and dirty, you'd set those puppies on fire. Right? The flaming arrows. But we can quench those with the shield of faith. Otherwise, it's going to hurt when those puppies land. Take the helmet of salvation. Arguably, perhaps, the most vulnerable part of our body. We talked about the heart, which is very vulnerable. But man, I'm telling you what, if something happens to your head, your brain, again, you're done for. That's, that's why not all states, many states have helmet laws for motorcycles. Let's not even go there. I've been rebuked so many times. But I, one of my praise reports is New Mexico doesn't have a helmet law. <laughs> Having said that, when it comes to spiritual warfare, I definitely want to have my helmet of salvation on. And again, what goes on within your brain? Your thoughts. The thoughts and the intents of the heart. We talked about this in our study of Matthew a couple of years ago. In the scriptures, God makes it very clear that spiritually, emotionally, our brains and our hearts 
are connected. And so we've got to guard our minds with that helmet of salvation. We know that we know that we know that we're saved, we're forgiven, we're set free. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and we've been given the precious gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when the devil comes and tries to mess with you, you know that you know that you know, hey, I belong to God. Get out of here. You can't touch me. Can't touch this. You can even sing that to the devil if you want. <laughs> kind of old school, but there's nothing new under the sun anyway, so. Now, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, laughter is medicine to the soul. So it's good to laugh. Helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Woo! Which is the Word of God. I felt like Dave Moss just then. <laughs> Woo! The Spirit of Dave is upon me. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the case has been made, based upon this passage, that our number one offensive weapon against the enemy is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. And so again, if we're not in the Word, our sword isn't going isn't to do much. In fact, it might be like a pen knife. You ever seen those little miniature Swiss Army knives? Try flipping that out on the devil. Look at that devil. I got you. No, you want a big sword. You want a big sword. And of course, it's not the size of the Bible. It's how much of the Bible's inside of you. That's your sword. It can be offensive and defensive. And then finally, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Jesus even spoke against, in the Gospels, he spoke against vain repetitious prayer and sadly that's what many Christian or religious groups do they just recite prayers uh, wrote memory out of a book and again God bless them anybody that's got a heart for God and a desire to know God that's great but the most effective prayers are the ones that are spontaneous from the heart filled by the spirit spirit filled spirit inspired prayers all kinds of prayers, all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In fact, there's nothing wrong with beginning your prayer by saying, God, please show me what to pray and how to pray. Remember, the disciples went to Jesus and said, Jesus teaches how to pray. And he taught them the Lord's Prayer. And he didn't teach them that so that they could just recite that over and over again. It was a model. The elements of the Lord's Prayer are a model. Go back and study it on your own. See what the elements are there in the Lord's Prayer and craft your prayers after that model. But don't make it just a rote, you know, verbatim, memorized thing. Let the Spirit of God fill you and speak to you and through you so that you're praying spiritual prayers to God. Being watchful, there it is again, just like Peter tells us to be watchful, to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That can be a challenge. That's why many people have a prayer list. It helps you remember there's nothing wrong with that. Writing down names of people to pray for. Praying for all the saints, not just the ones that you really like. I don't like them. I'm not going to pray for them. Well, what if somebody somewhere else is saying that about you? Right? We all need to be praying for each other. Now, again, as I mentioned earlier, we may or may not have a direct encounter with old Slewfoot himself. Are you all familiar with that nickname for the devil? Old Slewfoot. It's like a cloven hoof, which many have associated with him, down through the ages. We may or may not have a direct encounter with him throughout our entire lives. But he has a multitude of cohorts, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, 
spiritual hosts of wickedness like we just saw. He is in constant communication with them. Their purpose, their reason for being is to do his bidding and to make him aware of any particularly vulnerable target. The Bible also says he is the accuser of the brethren. And he will be quick to point out if he's aware of a particularly vulnerable target or if one of his associates is aware, they will bring that report. This guy over here, just like some people are ripe to receive Christ. God's been working on them. The Holy Spirit's been speaking to them. Maybe their friends have been sharing with them all kinds of things that God does to prepare a person to bring them to that place where they can receive Christ. Satan's working his stuff the same way to bring a person down. He's wily. Not like Wiley Coyote. That guy's an idiot. <laughs> the devil is truly wily. So what does he do? This adversary of ours. He walks about like a roaring lion. A lion roars when he is roused with hunger. For then he is most fierce and most eagerly seeks his prey. The devil is hungry for souls. And he is particularly hungry for bringing down God's people because he hates us with a passion. God loves us. I mean, Satan hates the entire human race. But a lot of them are already in his back pocket. He targets believers. I believe also he uses that roar of his to intimidate, to strike fear into the heart of his target. The good news, our lion is bigger than their lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. What's he doing? Wandering around, roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Have his cohorts sufficiently tenderized you that you are now prepared to be devoured by him? The word devour, by the way, that's used here is the same word that's used to describe what the Red Sea did to the pursuing Egyptians. How it engulfed them and took them under. Devour. Hebrews 11.29 Satan doesn't want to just nibble on us. You know, again, I don't know where they get this from. I don't see it in the Bible, but I've heard some preachers say, well, the devil, yeah, he's a lion, but he's toothless now. Jesus defanged him. But then they'll say, but watch out, because he could still gum you to death. <laughs> I don't really buy that. It sounds kind of funny. But I can guarantee you his desire is not just to nibble on you. He wants to swallow us up completely. To destroy our lives. John 10.10 10, The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, But I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. He wants to swallow us up completely. Destroy our lives, rob us of our joy, and separate us from the God who loves us. That's his goal. That's his purpose. That's what it means, seeking whom he may devour. And sadly, over the years, I've seen a lot of believers devoured. Shouldn't happen, but it does. And I'm sure you have too. I don't want to be one of those, do you? Therefore, we have to be sober. We have to be vigilant. We have to be watchful. We have to be prepared. That doesn't mean we can't be joyful. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy our lives in Christ. But at the same time, we've got to be alert. We've got to be equipped. John 10.10, 10, I already quoted it. The thief comes not except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I, Jesus says, have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Now, there are some, unfortunately, who would downplay, mock, make light of Satan and his power. And I would say they are foolish to say the least and are seriously lacking in a true understanding of God's word. 
Again, having said that, in Christ we need not fear him. But certainly we know that any military person, any military unit, any army, the men need to be trained, equipped, women too today in the military. They need to be properly trained and equipped and prepared for the enemy that they will face. We have some of the bravest military people in the world in our nation. But bravery is not blind. Bravery is knowing exactly what you're facing and like I've heard others say, running to the roar, not running away from it. Romans 16, 20, the, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. It hasn't happened yet. The good news is it will. And those of us who endure and persevere and hang in there will get to watch. And that will be a lot of fun. We're to be encouraged by that. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, writes the Apostle John, and have overcome them. And he's speaking here of false teachers. Because he was in you, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he, Satan, who is in the world. So we need to balance all this out. We don't want to be running around in fear, worry, but we need to be aware of, of who our adversary is, how he operates, at the same time reminding ourselves, greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. That's all part of the training and equipping process. Knowing who you are, knowing who your enemy is, knowing what your resources are, and being able to utilize them. It's all about folks being disciplined and self-controlled, as we saw, vigilant, being alert and watchful for when, where, and how the enemy might attack. Let me give you a little example. Recently, I believe, oh, maybe it was Joyless Behar, Uh, on The View, she criticized Vice President Mike Pence, who's a strong Christian, made a joke about him, the fact that he won't have lunch, you know, or, me, or hang, be with a woman that's not his wife alone. Has to be somebody else there. And I've made that same practice with myself through the years, as far as counseling and so forth. I want my wife there, or Debbie Moss, somebody. I just don't want to even take the chance of impropriety or looking improper or anything. That is part of being vigilant, being self-controlled, being alert, being watchful. One of the prime ways that the devil tears marriages apart is when one of the spouses is working with a member of the opposite sex. Of course, in this day and age, it could be other thing, I hear more and more stories of men and women leaving their heterosexual spouses to go be with the same, in a same-sex relationship. But oftentimes it happens in the workplace. Uh, you meet someone, you're working with them, you become friends, you, you find you have mutual interests or desires and so forth, and maybe you're frustrated with your home life, you begin to use them to vent your frustrations. And they're very sympathetic and understanding. Your wife might not understand you, but I do. That's destroyed a lot of marriages. As believers, we should not be stupid. You're so stupid. <laughs> a lot of it is obvious common sense, and if you're walking in the Spirit, it'll be easy to see. If you're not walking in the Spirit, you can walk right into a trap. And that's just one of many examples. Being alert and watchful for when, where, and how the enemy might attack. My wife and I were just out of town for a few days, as you probably know, had a little getaway together. It was nice. And I was in a situation where I hap happened to encounter a young man with hair that was longer than mine. And I, get, I don't know if it was my appearance or what, but he goes, hey, dude. Want a toke? <laughs> I 
It's been like 47 years for me <laughs> since I considered it. But, and it's always encouraging. You know, it's like I shared after my heart attack or when I had my heart attack. It's always encouraging when you find yourself in a precarious situation and you have the right response. But you never know how you're going to respond, right? I was on the verge of death having a heart attack and I'm there in the ambulance and I'm just praying, praising God, and I'm ready to go. No fear, nothing. And that wasn't me, that was the Holy Spirit. It's encouraging when you get into situations like that and you see, wow, God really is there and he's working in my life. Well, just in a moment, I said, no thanks. And I wasn't in Albuquerque. None of you were there. Nobody would have seen me, Right? But my immediate response, no thanks. It's encouraging when things like that happen. But those things happen the way they happen because we're being alert and watchful for when, where, and how the enemy might attack. Because you've already decided in your own heart and your own mind. It doesn't matter if it's legal or not legal. It doesn't matter if it's decriminalized. It doesn't matter if it's medical. You've already decided I'm not going to go there, right? You've already decided I'm not going to get too close to someone at work that might be a temptation for me, right? Verse 9, part 1. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. The Greek is anthistame. It means to set oneself against. What did Jesus say? You're either for me or against me? He said the same thing about the devil, I suppose. You're either for him or against him. Oh, no, I'm not for the devil. Well, are you for God? Well, no, not really. Then you're for the devil. Set oneself against, to withstand, to resist. Remember Flip Wilson, some of you old codgers here today? The devil made me do it, honey. <laughs> you remember that? Anytime, and I think that was Geraldine. Hi, I'm Geraldine, baby. The devil made me do it. So anytime Geraldine would get in trouble, the devil made her do it. No, we're to resist him, not use him as an excuse. Resist him as opposed to giving in to him. Resist his efforts to discourage us, intimidate us, or entice us into sin, into turning from God, or at least, and this is maybe the biggest sham of all, the biggest scam of all, not turning from God, but just putting God on the back burner. How many believers do you think there are just in America who believe in God, but he's on the back burner? Huh? And that's the devil's number one strategy, I believe. He will harass you, harangue you with the goal of trying to get you to back down and compromise. If you just stop going to that church where they teach the Bible, I'll leave you alone. Right? And he's got a lot of other ones he'll offer out there. He offered to Jesus the kingdoms of this world, remember? If Jesus would just bow down and worship Satan, now Jesus was already going to inherit the kingdoms of this world. So what the devil was offering Jesus was not something that he didn't already have the promise of obtaining, but Satan offered Jesus, and here's the big word, a shortcut. And the devil will offer you shortcuts, like sex outside of marriage. Well, we love each other. God knows that. And marriage is really just a piece of paper. We're already committed to one another in our hearts and in our minds. So I think it's okay with God if we sleep together. Well, let me tell you something, honey. Talking to you ladies that are unattached. Whether you're here this morning or watching on the internet or maybe eventually on the TV. You might feel that way, but check in with the guy tomorrow and see how he feels. 
He'll tell you anything to get what he wants. And even Christian men have been known to do that. Because I'm telling you, the flesh is powerful. Our God-given drives are very powerful. It's okay. God knows we love each other. We're planning on getting married. But what's the plan the day after? You see? That's a shortcut. We want each other so bad. There's a lot of shortcuts that the devil offers people in this life. Cutting corners in a business deal, business transaction. A lot of different ways that he offers us. Gambling. Now I guess there's some people that maybe do it very lightly for recreational purposes. I'm not passing judgment on anyone, but I know this. Uh, the evidence is it's extremely addicting and many times very devastating. Many people's lives have been destroyed over the addiction of gambling. What's the shortcut? Get rich quick, right? Only then you find at the end of the day, not only did you not get rich quick, what you did have is now gone. And that's what the devil does. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I think this is good teaching. And I'm not being arrogant or conceited or anything. It just feels good to hear God's truth. God's truth is powerful. God's truth is transformational. God's truth gives us strength, which is what this is all about. Resist him. James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God. Uno. Resist the devil. Dos. Did you know I can speak Spanish? And he will flee from you. Tres. Hello. Muchas gracias. <laughs> Por favor. And you know what we have here? I'm not a formula guy. I'm not big on formulas. But what we have really, I think, is the classic formula, if you will, for resisting the devil. Number one, submit to God. This is first and foremost, as we discussed the last time I was with you, a couple weeks ago in the previous passage. Humility, submission has to be the very first thing. Submit to God. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. When we are truly walking in submission to God, we appropriate the fullness of his care and protection in our lives. You see, when we're not submitted, when we're in pride and arrogance, God has to remove his protection because he has to allow us to be humbled. Make sense? He loves us too much to let us go on in our pride and our arrogance and our self-sufficiency. So in situations where he might otherwise have protected us, he pulls back and lets us get smacked so that we might be humbled. Some people are harder to humble than others. First thing, submit to God. The number one thing that makes us vulnerable to the attack of the enemy is pride. And pride can be very sneaky. You can think you're being humble when actually you're full of pride. You can be proud of your humility. That's a problem. The number one the thing that makes us vulnerable, I believe, to the attack of the enemy is pride. Pride could be as much like we discussed a moment ago convincing yourself that you can disobey God's word and it'll be okay. Worst case scenario, oh, he'll forgive me. That's presumptuous, isn't it? It's prideful. Number two, once you've taken care of business and submitted yourself to God, resist the devil. You can't flip him around. If you're walking in pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency, and you try to resist the devil, he's going to chew you up and spit you out. But you, once you've submitted, now you can resist. Having willingly, humbly placed our lives under the mighty hand of God, we're now able, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to resist him, 
to oppose him. Ephesians 6.10, we already read this once this morning. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. When we're submitted to him, his power, his might is imparted to us. He gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. Jude 1.9, yet Michael, the archangel, how many of you suspect that Michael the archangel might be a little more powerful than you and I? In contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, devil wanted to defile Moses' body there on the mountain overlooking Canaan. Moses was not allowed to go in. He died up there. Michael came to claim his body. The devil wanted it. Michael dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. You stupid, low-down, filthy scum. No. Said to the devil, Michael said to the devil, The Lord rebuke you, because the Lord has full power and authority over the devil. What did Jesus say? Here comes the prince of this world. He has nothing in me. How many of us here today could say that? that we are absolutely untouchable by the devil. No place in our lives where he could grab onto. That's a big challenge. But even Michael, who presumably was perfect, said, the Lord rebuke you. And when we're in full submission to God, we can say this with confidence because the confidence is not in me, it's in him. The Lord rebuke you, buddy, and I know you got to listen to that. Jesus resisted the devil in Matthew chapter 4 by refuting the devil's deceptive enticements with the truth of God's word. Matthew 4, 8. Just, this is just the third time. We know what happened three times. Again, the third time the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And again, Unless there was some enticement there, some temptation, it would have been meaningless. It only had meaning because it was a temptation because this was what Jesus was destined ultimately to inherit. All the kingdoms of the world. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to rule over this world. The devil was offering him a shortcut that would bypass the sufferings of the cross. Get it? And how did Jesus resist him? Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, by whom? By God. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Devil can't argue with that. Devil can't argue with the truth of God's word. He could probably argue circles around you and me. But he can't argue with the truth of God's word. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And that's some more good news. When you're in a spiritual battle and you're walking in submission to God and through his power and his might, you're able to resist the devil. His angels are going to come and minister to you and comfort you as you recover from the struggle. Next week, we'll finish this verse and move on. But before we move on next week, I will give you the three, I believe, most powerful weapons God has made available to us so that we might successfully resist the devil. And that's kind of a recap. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's powerful. It's the only supernatural book in the world. At least the only good supernatural book in the world the only one written by the creator of all things. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the transforming power of your word. And we ask God that we would be able to retain the information we've received today. We'd be able to implement it in our own lives that we might be thoroughly and fully equipped to stand against the wiles of the devil. And Lord, as we close now with our final song, we pray that anyone this morning here that would desire prayer, whether it be for physical purposes, emotional, mental, 
spiritual. Lord, maybe someone here today needs to give their life to Christ. They need to be saved. Maybe someone else needs to recommit to come back into full submission to you. Whatever it is, we ask you to draw each one by your spirit, prepare their hearts, and prepare the hearts of those who will be praying for them, that we could have a fruitful and effective time of ministry as we close out this service this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.